0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I'm excited to bring you guys my guest this week, Matt Tompkins. And before we get into his story with his diagnosis of bipolar and then really how that came about with opioid addiction and how that really – played out and what has really worked and not worked for him. I want to introduce you to him and let you guys know that he also is the host of a podcast called the Omaha Podcast where he talks sits down with the most successful entrepreneurs in the area and talking about how they've grown their businesses and he also used to host it's The Fix Podcast as well which was his first podcast that he t- that he launched talking all about addiction and mental health and it's also available on Apple Podcasts and wherever you guys get your podcasts for those two and He also has a 17 year long career in radio and TV before he decided to go and start his own podcast video production company in 2022 with his brother called Two Brothers Creative. So I'm excited to have Matt here with us today and just really get into his background and story of how everything has played out and tips from him on living with bipolar, what's been working and what hasn't. So Matt, thank you so much for popping on and joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. You mentioned it's the fix and I I feel guilty because I want to start it back up because it's one of those like kind of pet projects that I really just love talking about mental health and my experience with addiction. And there are so many like parents who lost their kids and Mm -hmm. people who went through addiction that I was friends with. I didn't even know that they had gone through it. It's amazing when you, when you have, when you have the conversation, everybody connects and relates with this in some way, in some form, we just don't talk about it enough. So
0: Yeah, and I really love that. That's that's what I thought was so cool is you had that podcast that you started to really be an outlet to feature more of the stories. And it's I was I was looking at it right here, and looks like the last episode you can get start it back up and start the new one. It was December twenty eighth of twenty twenty one. So if you have the next one come out December twenty eighth of twenty (laughs) twenty two, a year year later. And but yeah, I just want to talk to you, talk to me about this. So with how did the diagnosis come about? with the addiction piece. Like what was that experience like for you? And how did you feel when you got finally got the diagnosis?
1: So it was kind of a confusing period because so I was at the height of my opioid addiction and I mean it mine got severe. I mean there was there was opioid addiction and then there was like cocaine that got in there and I've overdosed seven times. The last time was, it was like the scene from Pulp Fiction where mm-hmm. I was literally hit the concrete floor of the basement of my former drug dealer's house. And he was pounding on my chest, eyes in the back. It was just, I didn't even know about it till he told me about it. Like two weeks later, I didn't even remember. Apparently I just popped up and went, whoops, well, see you later and just took off. Wow. And that's almost more, it's almost more like traumatic to not remember it. But that was a kind of a, the tipping point of like, it was just too, too much. But it, it took a long time to figure out a way out of this, I guess. But I had this opioid addiction going on. I mean, I was taking massive amounts of oxycodone prescribed by my doctor and then buying them, you know, just from on the street. And when I went in, I went and finally saw I'd seen several therapists and like it just wasn't helping. At the time, I was hosting a television show, number one rated television show and a radio show. And I didn't want to, like, give that up because that was my dream. And I, I was just like, I can't give this up and I can't show this publicly publicly. So I'm keeping his high. Like my wife didn't even know any of this stuff for the first few years. And then they I finally saw a psych, psychiatrist and they diagnosed me, you know, manic depressive that I need to, to, I did the whole test and everything. And it, but it was weird because I was also going through opioid addiction. So it was like, mm-hmm. it wasn't really possible to treat one or the other. And I think I, what I ended up happening was I was self-medicating the bipolar with the addiction. And so that was balancing that out. But then when I would run out of, you know, pills and we go into severe withdrawals, it was just like the ultimate low and just suicidal ideation and just it, it got pretty pretty ugly. And I didn't really get a chance to even address the uh, the bipolar part of it until after I got clean. And there was I think it's called an They use it for alcoholism to block cravings, but then it can also it also blocks your receptors in your brain. And so that way, even if you take opioids, you can't get high off of them. It's impossible Mm -hmm. because your receptors are blocked. And so I did that for nine months and that's how I got clean. And then it was about a year later that I finally kind of got into a recovery stage. And then that's when I was able to start addressing like just the mental health and The, you know, for me, it wasn't so much manic, but really severe, low depression swings that would just, it would just, you know, and there was a lot of side effects for my addiction too like my testosterone level dropped to like nothing. And there's all these residual effects that you don't expect. So it's hard to pinpoint, like, what's going on with me, like, I can't get up off the couch. For two days and just so it, it took a then it was all the medications like I mentioned and when we were kind of chatting back and forth about mm-hmm. it was probably a year of just try this for six months and then hey try this for six months and it, it probably wasn't up until like twenty like yeah you know, probably twenty nineteen into twenty nineteen where I finally had a balance of medications that weren't too much but were enough and then had got my health and fitness back in order and I, I lost about forty pounds and just started get, getting on that right track, just kind of a lifestyle change. And it was a matter of maybe four months. I did, I started doing the testosterone replacement treatment and it was probably four months. I lost 40 pounds, was just fit, felt great. you know, and, and that was the point where I, 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 I decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to renew my radio contract. I'm going to start this, this business. So, so yeah, it was a long process though. I mean, it was about eight years of addiction that I went through in total. And it was just a, it's such a, It's it's so hard to describe how the lack of willpower there has nothing to do with it. It's just your brain is literally rewired, and you don't take pills to feel high. You just take them so you don't feel sick because the withdrawals are absolutely horrendous. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with an existing mental health uh, condition like it it just, which I wasn't even familiar with, other my grandma was bipolar and had pretty. pretty sharp swings. And I don't think she ever had it diagnosed officially, but it was pretty obvious that what was going Mm -hmm. on. And so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was a long, long process. That's the hardest part, I think, is just being able to kind of white knuckle it through the the years it takes to get Mm -hmm. to feeling normal, you know?
0: Yeah. You talk about the eight years of the addiction and seven years in recovery, and just mm-hmm. really, you know, especially having that piece of the addiction piece. And then, like you mentioned, not even being able to address the bipolar side of it until first like you said, working on the recovery to get clean. And then really like thank you too for walking through the process of what that was like of nine months with the Naltrexone, getting back into health, fitness, and then just noticing what's going on with the severe depression and then being able to kind of work through that side. And then also, I also understand too what you're saying from doing the radio and having the number one rated radio and TV show and wanting to continue doing what you're doing because this is such a dream of yours that you work so hard. So why am I going to talk about what's going on now? And even really feeling like even expressing that to your wife and just people around is very, very challenging. I really like what you said about the lack of willpower thing. And then also with the pills, taking them, people might have a perception of, okay, you're doing this for the feeling of being high and trying to escape from the reality or something, but then literally saying, no, I'm doing this to not feel sick from coming down from this. And then having that pain of having to deal with the detox. So yeah, just that whole explanation. And I'd love to hear about what was that like for you transitioning out of like when you did all of that work for that whole nine months of working on the recovery from the addiction? What was it like from that point to transition into addressing the parts with the bipolar? Were you wanting to do that or what was that part like?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I want to say one thing that with like when I remember this was like probably a year before I got the Naltrexone, so I was still kind of mm-hmm. would be clean for a few months and then relapse and back and forth, and the depression and the bipolar when I would be clean for a few months would just be horrible. Like just mm-hmm. it was because the, the dopamine and the everything in your brain is just not producing anything, so you're just mm-hmm. extreme lows. And I remember standing outside, and this this I think this is a key thing for anybody. Going through this right now is that the hardest thing is like to tell somebody and to talk about it because there's so much shame that you feel and just guilt, I, I think, and it weighs you down. And one day I stand in the parking lot at the radio station and our general manager came up and he's like, he, he's like, what what's going on? Like something just is not right. You don't seem like yourself. And I just, it was at the point I was just kind of, I, I just told him everything that was going on. I was like, you know, I've been dealing with this, struggling with addiction and bipolar and I don't know what to, it's just, I just, I don't know what to do. And I thought like most people think, well, they're going to judge me or say something. And instead he gave me this, the biggest bear hug I think I've ever had and said, my brother has go- is going through the same thing. You have, you know, there's, I can't tell you who they are, but you have half a dozen people inside who are, have gone to treatment and have gone through this. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to keep it bottled up. And it was the same thing when I told my wife, it was, it wasn't judgment. It was just, you know, accept. like we'll help you. And I don't know how to help you yet, but you know, so I think opening up is like the, and just getting it out there is Mm -hmm. you can't do it yourself. You can't just, you know, muscle through it because that, that, that won't, it's not just not a winning ingredient but then yeah when I got clean like there was like a two year period there where I was still really struggling with just I would be depressed and lethargic and no energy and then it was just it it, it, I didn't know what was going on I I, for a while because I was on doing a morning radio show as a new show it put me on the show and I felt like Bob Saget playing Danny Tanner like I felt like this wasn't really me it was kind of this this kind of cheesy gimmicky morning show they wanted and so I was sitting there and every time I'd be using the bathroom, I'd be like, why am I so depressed? Like, am I depressed because I hate my job or do I hate my job because I'm depressed? Like, I can't figure mm-hmm. out what the causation is. And it, it really was, I had my shoulder replacement surgery, so I was able to start working out and it was really the exercise in that routine. I think that was like the the turning point for my mental health. Mm-hmm. It was great to lose weight and everything, but like, that was the like secret ingredient and I don't know if it was like the, it was obviously the exercise is good for you mentally and physically, but it was the routine having this like consistent routine, that is what it was like a two or three week turnaround. It was really amazing. Like that I went in, I did tests to find out my, what are my hormones look like? What, you know, my, just everything and figure out what's going on, get the right plan with my doctor and the medications. And then the the health thing was just it was just like, it, it, it kind of was like jet fuel. It was just in a matter of two or three weeks. I'm like, I feel like a completely different person. And then you're able to actually prioritize and think clearly and have this uh, this plan. Then you you, you regain control of your, yourself, right? I mean, that's how you kind of regain control of what am I going to do today? How am I going to do it? And that that's just, it felt like freedom. I mean, because I, I think with, with both bipolar and with addiction, it, it feels like you're in this prison. And you, there's no way out. And, you know, I, I describe it like on 9-11, we saw people jump off the building and we were just shocked. But that's how it feels, because it feels like your choices are I can either be burned to death or choke to death or just take the choice and jump and, and end it and not suffer anymore. And that's mm-hmm. that's how extreme it got for me, at least. And I think for a lot of people. And so to have that freedom back, it was just really an incredible thing, and then and then you're able to like you know, process it how you should, and therapy and all these different things that really help keep you on that track and maintenance.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love too what you talked about with regaining control, and then just knowing that when you bring up the point of not doing it yourself, also having the reaction when you're in the parking lot, and then literally opening up and saying to to the guy that you're working with and saying, like, here, this is what's been going on. I'm just gonna share it. And really expecting this person to push you yeah. away and you just like feel uncomfortable was really surprising to say, No, I have a brother who's going through the same thing and just really wanting to learn more about it and just support. And that's really what I found too because I know talking about bipolar can be nerve wracking maybe because you don't know how someone's going to react, but then being able to connect and meet someone who's like, hey, I'm struggling with this myself, or you know, my family member is, or this is what's going on. But I really like how you you were so in tune with just the awareness piece of when you were doing that morning show, just feeling like this is not <laughs> something that I'm enjoying and I'm feeling like I need to be here and I need to like put on this face and have this kind of character and then really pinpointing that as a something that's contributing to the depression. Because I feel like sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to even want to to question where it's coming from or like what's going mm-hmm. on. Because like you're saying, it's not like you're choosing not to want to get out of bed or do these things. I love how you describe it, the way that the, your brain chemicals are working, that you can't just pull them together and say, hey, get over yeah. here and do this or I, whatever it is. Right? Even like
1: I'll label it like now I'll have like moments of like really heightened anxiety Mm -hmm. with things that happen at work or just certain conditions come together. And, you know, I've had a couple, I wouldn't say anxiety attacks, but it was, it was to the point of like, I remember one day this summer I stayed in my office for like an hour and a half and wouldn't leave because I was so, I was just at such wit's end that I felt like if I ran into somebody or something happened in traffic that I would just snap and I didn't want to like hurt myself or anybody else. And So it can still get to that point, but like, I think what helps me is to label it and say, this is not me doing this. This is, this, this is bipolar. This is addiction, or this is, you know, this is my anxiety. It is not, I can't control it, you know, and You know, a lot of breathing exercises really help, like diaphragm, breathing through the stomach. It seems simple and, and and it is, but I mean, it really does help calm you down as opposed to breathing with your shoulders, which raises your blood pressure, your heart rate.
0: I was so shocked to learn that too, when you bring up the breathing exercises, because especially before you get into any of this stuff, right? Like meditation or the breathing or getting back into working out and all these routines, of thinking that it can't help so with that too like with the breathing techniques and exercises what is part of your routine now or like what is part of your daily routine now that you've put in there and that you didn't have before that is a staple to really helping you out with maintaining the work you're doing
1: the last few months cuz we, we had our, with our business we built this big production studio had you know three full time employees it was like complete opposite of where i was the year before it was just me in this room now that used to be my my home studio in this like spare bedroom and so it was a, there was i remember august was a month where I was the kind of where i had those moments that i was mentioned where it got so extreme with like financial stuff and just so much stress and pressure that that i had gotten completely off track and so for me it's like you have i i think uh, the sleep pattern i think is the first thing that is really important that we kind of just dismiss but i know that when i wake up and i get up instead of getting waking up back to sleep for an hour uh your circadian rhythm is it, it just can determine your whole day it's such a big difference maker so like that that's a big one and then like having boundaries for work and for home it's easy to just i'm not saying i'm perfect with this all the time like working through the night and doing stuff on my computer and stuff at home but uh, it, it, it like calls, like I don't take calls after, after six o'clock and like, unless it's family or something and just setting simple boundaries like that, or they make such a big difference. It really just helps structure your day. That like takes away the anxiety of it. You know, I mean, I probably wouldn't be able to survive without my Google mm-hmm. calendar and my phone. Cause I wouldn't know what I'm doing, but like <laughs> uh, it's, it works though, because I, I okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, and, and I think, for this too is like is continuing to talk about it and i probably share wait i like my nickname should be tmi because like i will i'll just start talking about stuff i mean like people like i was doing an interview with the mayor of our city and it was a really heavy episode it's the fix and she was talking about like, her husband lost. she lost her husband to uh, suicide and i talked about how i had overdosed seven times and i'm sitting there thinking like why am i t- i'm telling the mayor that i overdosed seven times like this is just such a random weird thing but it sharing that like it, it there was a connection with us and there's so many people who who, who listen to it like even the doctors who worked with her because he was a surgeon worked with him and it's just when you open up and that i think that's the thing you got to keep doing is keep just keep talking about it and sharing because you know we keep it bottled up i think that's where it get, can get out of control or it can take over in a negative
0: way Oh my gosh. I love how you talk about just the importance of continuing to share too. And then even feeling – Weird opening up, right? You talk about doing that interview and being like, hey, I overdosed seven times, and then really being like, is this something I should be saying or sharing? I really relate a lot to that. You know, I've had different instances where it's like, whether you're, you know, at work or something and telling someone, hey, this happened to me, or I went through this, and it's like, that's something that people don't say usually at all.
1: Uh, 70% of addicts are functional, meaning they're going to work, you can't even tell, you don't notice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a large statistic of, of people. They're just going about their day just we're just like ignoring this elephant in the room. And, you know, you have uh, the opioid and then right by that, you have Adderall kids are being prescribed all the way up. And it's like I get why it's embarrassing and the shame and stuff. But, yeah, that's kind of my mission. When I was like probably two years into it, when I started really feeling confident in myself again, um, I had always promised myself that I would be like open, use whatever platform I have to talk about this. And it's silly, but like the moment for me, there was, was some random magazine. There was an article about Eminem. And it was like, I was right in the middle of my addiction. And I was reading about this, how he went through his addiction. And I was, he was talking about how many pills he took a day. And I'm like, that's the same amount of pills. And it was a lot of pills it was like 60 pills a day. I mean, just ridiculous amount. And I thought, well, wow, if, if Eminem, if he can fall to this or he could, this can happen to him and he has everything, then it's not, it can happen to me too. And it's not just me. And I look at it when I was, when I was going through it, like I said, I was, everybody thought, oh, he's got everything. He's a TV show, radio show. Perfect. I mean, I have a great home upbringing. I mean, but it can, it, it'll take anybody down and it's not, uh, it's not partial to, to anybody. And so got to kind of set aside that feeling that it's you. Cause it's, it's not, it's just, um, it can literally happen to anybody.
0: Yeah, and that's something too that I love that you talk about. Just the fact that that can happen to anyone. And when you first started getting into, because tell me again, like what year was it when you got the diagnosis? The bipolar. Late
1: 2012 or 2013. Because my wife and I got married in September of 2012, and it was it was right after that that I told her about it, and then went through. You know, I was doing therapy and stuff. So yeah, it was it was probably early 2013, I think, when when I had that. Initial diagnosis,
0: yeah, and then, and then, one the diagnosis of 2013, you yeah. went through, right? Remember, you were telling me that like years of, you know, okay, try this medication, then try this one, then this one, then this one. So, from the moment you got the diagnosis in 2013, when did you finally, like you said, reach the point where you are now?
1: Yeah, so it was, I it didn't, I didn't get on track until 2019, but I don't, I don't. That's a little bit misleading because between 2013 and 2016. Uh, cause it's like January of, of 2016 is my like my sobriety date and it's a little loose cause it was more, it was earlier than that, but I just kind of picked that as the date when I really have like an official, Hey, it's the last day I'm getting high and type of you know, <laughs> didn't put that in my diary or anything, but so January 1st, 2016, that's when I had the implant, uh, or mm-hmm. the, not on the first, but that first week <laughs> of January, I think it was January 8th. I had the implant for naltrexone. So there was times I was not on anything and I had prescriptions, but then weren't taking them. And then I would get. I would be clean. I would be taking any any opiates and then I would be on something and it was just, there was so many, I mean, there was like, I remember two different medications. There was like sexual side effects that were just like, I'm not, it's not, no, that's not going to work for, for me. I mean, I'm going to get more depressed because of that. And this is, so, um, you know, and there's all kinds of other side effects because mm-hmm. my problem is I would get really, Uh, hyper or why my brain would just be going crazy throughout the night. So I couldn't sleep. And then that would fuel this throughout the day. I've tried about literally every medication. I mean, um, legal or otherwise, I guess, but um, yeah, but it took, it takes a while. And it's just, I mean, it takes like a couple months to even know, is this even working? (laughs) And that's really tough when you know, Hey, I could just take this other thing, self-medicate and I'll be fine today. um, So it's, it is really challenging to to go through that. And I wish there was a better mm-hmm. process. It's unfortunate that it takes that much time.
0: Yeah. Well, no, thank you so much for just opening up like about the timeline too. Cause I know you mentioned like having the diagnosis at in 2013 and then really like this, like sobriety date, January 8th of 2016. And then from literally that period from 2013 to 2016, You know, self medicating, trying these different medications, all the combinations, and like not finding the balance. But then finally, a little bit before 2019, feeling on track, having what is working for you, and really being able to get into addressing that. Because I feel like it is hard, like you mentioned, going through that. Journey of what yeah. what's working. Like, is this even the right diagnosis? We don't know. just do this or try it. And like, really feeling isolated by that because, you know, I've talked to so many people who have a very similar experience of, oh, I was originally diagnosed with this, or when I, you know, and also struggling with addiction as well. Struggling with addiction, then on top of that, then bipolar diagnosis. So it's like you're trying to do this thing over here, then you have this over here. So, I mean, with everything that you've done so far, like what would you say when you think about what it means to live well bipolar, what comes to mind?
1: Um, I would say try to improve 1%. Like just like for exercising, don't jump into it and try and do a full body workout. Just go to the gym walk inside, sit down in the chair for five minutes and then leave. And that's your first time at the gym. And then the next day you go back, you walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes and then you leave and you slowly build up this habit, these healthy habits and this routine where it feels natural, it feels comfortable. And that sounds silly, but it, it really works. And that's, that's how I've always, anytime I've fallen out of like working out, that's how I get back into it. And I think mm-hmm. that it, the exercise component I think is, and and your nutrition, your diet is such a it's we overlook that so much and we, we seek the medications first. So, like, is that really the best mm-hmm. option to go to first? You know, I'm not saying it's not people don't need it. I mean, I obviously take it as well, but I think the first option should be, hey, what can I do physically and with my nutrition and how I'm eating? Because that really in your that affects your hormones, which control everything in your body. Uh, no matter how old you are, and and that to me, that's like that's such a it's a simple thing to do, and it's just one little thing each day, one little step, that is manageable. You know, I can do that. Uh, You know, I can't do I can't improve a hundred percent in a day. That's overwhelming, and I'll just up and 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 won't make any progress. But I have a question for you, though. Okay, so for people who, so like when you go through this, it's easier to identify other people who are likely going through it i mean i want to assume but you know relatives friends uh we have one relative in particular that i know is struggling with this for years how do you uh help people without intruding or overstepping and on the flip side when you find out if somebody says hey i'm going through addiction or i'm been diagnosed bipolar and i this is my i have these swings like how do you respond and react like the, the support element for people uh they're with the person that they care
0: about the being able to listen to what they're going through because i feel like that's the biggest thing that I, i know for myself and others who i've talked to they felt like was missing not listening and just jumping to like okay something's wrong with you you're not taking care of yourself like what what do i do how do i help and then really not letting them open up to you about more underneath the surface of what it is so really just saying you know like You know, if you haven't talked to it and really you're actually there and not just there for the one time when you want to come in and be like, something's going on, like I'm here now, but you're not there like for longer term or you're not really wanting to like maintain or really want to show up, I think is huge because I feel like that's something I've listened to and just people saying like, it's one person in my life who, you know, took the time to go through my history. Like, let me talk about my experiences and share, want to share without trying to pull it out of me. And that's kind of a, a almost like a universal thing I've theme I've seen in a lot of conversations. So that's always what I try to do too. And you know, I'd love to see from you like what, what it means to live well bipolar. Really getting into that foundational piece of, one percent every day and starting small and having those small moments and not pushing it. Like I need to go and do like all these things and, you know, get everything all checked off my list and, you know, super overwhelmed with it, but just small and really doing those small movements to really see how it adds up and compounds over time, which I love that you, that was your, that's really what you shared for that. I want to ask you too, before we pop off, Matt, where can people go to get more of you, to connect with you, because we're going to put it in the show notes, but I want you to, you to tell them.
1: Well, yeah, you can find me um, with uh, the Omaha podcast. It's, uh, you know, right wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find us. It's really focused on small businesses like mine and my co-host. There's a lot of things that we're embarrassed to ask. Like, what is a business mm-hmm. plan? I don't even know what that stands for. And so we're asking those questions that people are maybe embarrassed to ask. That we can actually learn these things that... Shouldn't be so uh, guarded, I guess, in the business world. So it's been really fun. And I mean, I've learned a lot from it myself as a business owner. And then, you know, my company is Two Brothers Creative. I'm always, I'm an open book and we may not know each other, but I'm here to listen. You're here doing your podcast to help people. And it's that lonely feeling that I think we got to, that's, that's something that's easy for us to eliminate if we just start a conversation.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for coming out and sharing your story, sharing these experiences and really getting into what this has been like. I've really, really enjoyed talking with you and I can't wait to share this and you guys go check out the Omaha podcast. Please love you guys. And until next time, I'm going to end it here and say bye. So bye guys. Bye Matt. See ya.